Let's open our Bibles today, please, to the book of Joshua in the Old Testament, the book of Joshua, chapter 3. I'd like to talk to you today about crossing over into the promised land. You know, every first of the year, I, I, I like to think about... Um, doing something different, uh, making some changes, of course, for the better. Uh, these people were going in the right direction here in the book of Joshua. Chapter 3, they, um, they, had, they had already historically left Egypt, and uh, now they were ready to cross over. Remember I told you before that uh, Egypt was a picture, a type of the world. Um, God doesn't want us to live there. He wants us to be saved from there. And, uh, and they were saved from there. Um, I said to you that Pharaoh was a type of Satan. Uh, when Israel left uh, Egypt, Pharaoh sent his minions after, after the people of Israel to get them back. Uh, Satan is always trying to get us back. Uh, he is unrelenting. Uh, he does not rest. Uh, he has every single believer, I think, uh, in his crosshairs, and he wants you back. Um, they, they set their eyes on the promised land, and the promised land in the Bible it pictures the adult spiritual life, spiritual maturity. Let's go in there. Chapter 3, verse 3 says, And they commanded the people, saying, When you see the ark of the covenant of the Lord your God, and the priest and the Levites bearing it, then you shall set out from your place and go after it. In other words, follow the ark. Yet there shall be a space between you and it about 2,000 cubits by measure. Do not come near it that you may know the way of which you must go, for you have not passed this way before. The Lord here is saying through his people that whenever he takes you into the land of spiritual maturity... Uh, it's a new place for you. You've never gone there before. Uh, you're treading new territory. And Joshua said to the people, Sanctify yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. You know, I think in order to be effective for Christ, uh, we have to always be doing this, sanctifying ourselves, always looking down deep into our heart. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxieties. See if there is any wicked way in me and then lead me in the way everlasting. If you keep yourself pure, you will be a utensil that God can use for his purpose. You'll be clean and ready for the master to use you for every good work. Sanctify yourselves, he said. God's going to use a sanctified people. Then Joshua spoke to the priest saying, Take up the Ark of the Covenant and cross over before the people. So they took up the Ark of the Covenant and went before the people. And the Lord said to Joshua, This day I will begin to exalt you in the sight of all Israel, that they may know that I, I was with Moses, so I will be with you. You know, the Lord has a very unique way of raising up people uh, and putting down people. Uh, and here he says, Listen, you've been a faithful servant of mine. You were, you were Moses' right-hand man. And now... Uh, all the awe and the uh, reverence and the esteem that I gave to Moses, I'm giving that to you. It's your turn. It's your turn to carry the banner 
uh, of God's people into the promised land. Thomas Jefferson said, I like the dreams of the future better than the history of the past. When you read the book of Joshua, we're talking about the future. We're talking about moving on, moving out. You know, I think many people fall, fall into the trap to think that the future is uh, sometimes way out past us. But you know, the future is really today. The future is 10 minutes from now. The future is what you're going to do this afternoon. And so what happened is these people were starting their future and they were entering into their future day by day, step by step. They weren't looking way down the road. They were just looking right out there in front of them. The scripture says, the steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord. When we follow God, uh, he, he leads us into the future, not to the past. He takes us out of the past into the future. Dale Carnegie put it this way. One of the most tragic things about human nature is that all of us tend to put off a living. We are all dreaming about some magical rose garden over the horizon instead of enjoying the roses that are blooming outside the windows today. I'm here today to tell you that today is the future. This is your future. Uh, Paul said, I, I don't look at myself as someone who's apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and striving for those things which are ahead. Um, with the Lord, we, we do have a future. Uh, and so what do we see here in this passage of Scripture? He says, listen, when you see the ark, God is leading the way. How do we take this journey? We follow the ark. And remember I said to you earlier that the ark symbolizes the presence of the Lord. Uh, they were used to following the Lord through the wilderness, but in the wilderness, they were following God by a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. Uh, years ago in the church, we used to sing this little song. The Lord knows the way through the, what? The wilderness. How many people remember that? The Lord knows, the Lord knows the way through the wilderness. Remember that? Well, the Lord knows the way in every generation through the wilderness, but he not only knows the way through the wilderness, but he knows the way into the future as well. Hebrews 6.20 gives us a little uh, preview of that. Let's read it. Where the forerunner has entered for us, even Jesus, having become high priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. Jesus is said to be our forerunner. He's entered into heaven. He's blazed the way. And he says, and he says in effect the same thing that he said to his disciples. Follow me. And I will make you fishers of men. And then he says, listen, follow me and I'll take you to heaven. And so in every generation, God said, follow the, follow the cloud by day, follow the fire by night. Follow the Ark of the Covenant. Follow Jesus. Those are symbols of Christ. It's interesting that as they, as they started to cross the Jordan River... I was looking over in chapter 4, verse 10. The Bible says that they hurried across. Uh, they didn't waste any time going down through the Jordan River. God dammed up the Jordan River uh, way upstream, and it became dry. The priest, the Levites, and the ark was supposed to go out and stand right in the center of the Jordan River. The people were to go around them. And the Bible says they hurried. I can imagine myself hurrying through the Jordan River. 
thinking, well, maybe the dam's going to break up steam. I better, I better make steam here. They hurried through. They, the priests, the Levites, the ark symbolizes the presence of God. And they held the flood of death at bay. And, you know, as we go through this story together, uh, there are parallels we're looking for, correlations to New Testament truths. Uh, that's a picture of Christ's provision for you and me today. The cross today stands between you and God's wrath. Uh, God's wrath and man's destruction. We live in the age of grace, and boy, I'll tell you, we better be thankful for it. God is extending his hand in mercy today in an unparalleled way. The flood of death that has been held at bay is eternal death. And the cross is our safety net. It really is. You know, for centuries, the lake of God's wrath has been filling up. And one day, it's going to spill over. It really is in this world. But right now, God's holding it back for various reasons. Uh, Romans 11.25 is an interesting passage. Let's read it. I want you to understand this mystery, dear brothers and sisters, so that you will not feel proud or start bragging. Some of the Jews have hard hearts, but this will last only until the complete number of Gentiles comes to Christ. Boy, there's a lot in that verse. Paul's writing to the Romans, the Gentile Christians in Rome, he calls them brothers and sisters, and he said, listen, don't start bragging about who you are and what you do and your big relationship you have right now with spiritual things because the Jews did that before. They became very proud. And the Bible says pride goes before what? A fall. That's exactly what happened to the nation of Israel. They became very proud, and all of a sudden, that was the end. Pride's the end. Uh, he says, right now, some of the Jews have hard hearts, but this will last only until the complete number of the Gentiles come in. God is holding back his wrath, but when he comes again in judgment, he's going to reveal himself to the nation of Israel, and their hardness of heart, their dullness of hearing will be changed. But that's not going to happen until the complete number of the Gentiles come in. This verse gives me an intimation that there is a number that God is waiting for before judgment comes and before redemption comes to the nation of Israel. And when I think about this, I think of the guy outside the, the little event somewhere with his little counter. You know, have you ever gone to one of these things and the guy's standing out there right at the entrance and he click, 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 click. Well, uh, somehow... Maybe, according to this verse, God's counting numbers. And he's counting Gentiles, you and me, people coming to Christ. And when that, that last click comes, then judgment comes. Then with, with judgment comes redemption to the nation of Israel. The Bible says when Christ comes back again, every eye will see him. Those who, those who crucified him will see him. And they will mourn for him. Uh, in the Old Testament, the Bible says, my spirit will not always strive with man. You and I are living today in a wonderful day in which to live. We really are. But one of these days, the Lamb of God is going to turn into the Lion of the tribe of Judah and come again. 
Well, in chapter 3, verse 17, the Bible says all the people who followed the ark crossed over. Uh, the river divided people from the promised land. And I want to ask you this question this morning. What divides you, what divides you from the promised land? What divides you from spiritual maturity? You know, you know I, I think that in every church, there are people who come for many years and they just look over into the promised land. They don't go over, they look over. Because there's a barrier for them uh, over which they are unable to take the step of faith. What's dividing you from the promised land? Moving on in your Christian experience. There's something. Uh, the, the Jordan River divided them, but, but they had enough faith to trust the Lord to take them through. And so I want to encourage you, whatever's, whatever's hindering you today from going into the promised land, I want you to put your eyes on the ark and follow the ark. Follow Jesus into the promised land. Don't stand there wistfully looking across and saying, hey, you know, the promised land is really over there, but I've never gone. Now, I'm out of Egypt. I'm kind of in no man's land out here between Egypt and the promised land, but I've never gone in. You know, that, that to me would be a real tragedy in life if, that, if you let that happen to you, if you don't go in. Well, whenever they were going into the land, the Lord said, listen, I want this crossing to be remembered. I want you to remember it. And so he started talking to them about memorials. Look over to chapter 4 with me, please, verse 6. That this may be a sign among you when, when your children ask in time to come, saying, what do these stones mean? Uh, you know the story if, if you've read the story. God told the children of Israel to make uh, several memorials of this crossing. You know, a memorial tells of another time and another place. And he says, one of these days, I want you to build this memorial because I know your children are going to come after you and I want them to know the story. You hear a lot of on television right now, the reason why America is in so much trouble is because the people in America don't know the story of America. They've forgotten the story. They've forgotten where we came from. They, were for, they forgot who we brought us here, the Lord. And so the Lord says, listen, this story has to, it's, it's just not redemption for you, but it's, but it's also redemption for your kids. You have to remember the story. You have to tell the story. And so let's set up these memorials. One we're going to set up at Gilgal, which is on the eastern, or excuse me, the western side of the Jordan, and one is right in the middle of the Jordan River. There's two of them. Uh, set up this memorial. You know, memorials are kind of good because they, they tell us where we came from. You know that? And uh, memorials can be different things. They really can. Uh, a few years ago, I was up here at the church one day, and one of our young kids that grew up in the church came back with his wife and kids. And uh, he said, I just want to come back to the church. He said, I live in Florida now. He said, I'm going to take my kids downstairs where I went to Sunday school. He said, I want to show them uh, this, this building. In, in some way, this was like a little remembrance. He was taking his kids a trip back into time. That's what a memorial is. It's a trip back into time. You know, I always tell you about my little memorial over there next to Langley High School, that little church. That's a memorial to me. 
You drive by it and you say, boy, that doesn't look like much. I'll tell you what, it's much to me. It's my memorial. It's a place that takes me back into time. I remember years ago I was at a pastor's fellowship meeting. I think it was Mercer, Pennsylvania. And the ladies of the church were cooking meals for the pastor and we were investing chicken in the ministry. And uh, we were having a great time. And, and I started to talk to this lady and she said, uh, she said, oh, I used to live in Indianapolis. And, uh, and I immediately I said, are you aware of this particular church? Because it was a well-known large church. Oh, she said, I used to go to that church. I said, you did. And I, and I thought, well, boy, this is really a come down. Here's this little church in the corner up there in Mercer, Pennsylvania. She says, you know, but I really love this church. She said, when I went to that church, my husband would never go to church with me. But when we came to this church, my husband came to church and accepted Jesus as a Savior. And she was so excited because that was her little memorial right there. Memorials come in different sizes. They really do. And so, so the Lord said, listen, I want you to build a memorial. And uh, the first one I want you to build, I want you to put it at Gilgal. And that speaks of God's faithfulness to keep his promise. Genesis 15, 18. I have to review that with you today. Let's read it. On the same day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying, To your descendants I have given this land, from the river of Egypt to the great river, the river Euphrates. Uh, the first memorial that he set up at Gilgal was a memorial of God's faithfulness. Uh, when I drive by that little church in Sheridan, you know what I think about? God's faithfulness, that's what I think about. God was faithful. He was faithful to bless those people. He was faithful to bless my mother who took me to that church. He was faithful to bless his message in that church. God is faithful. Uh, and so they got across and they built that little memorial and they pinched themselves and they say, hey, listen, we're really here. God is faithful. We had this promise many years ago and now, now we're here. The second memorial speaks of God's power. That's the one they built in the riverbed. You know, it's interesting that these memorials were not ornate or large like the temples and pyramids in Egypt. Uh, it was to keep the worship of the memorial from displacing the worship of God. They were not an end within themselves. They were only to point to the Savior. They were point to God. You know, the world wants to worship the crucifix rather than Christ and magnify the place of worship rather than the person of worship. Uh, this was just a, a rough-hewn pile of stones at Gilgal. Uh, memorials keep us on focus. Uh, they tell us about our roots. Where's your memorial? Where's the place in your mind's eye that you can go back and say, hey, listen, it was there that I met the Lord. Uh, it was a precious time to me. I can remember the experience of it all. It's interesting that whenever the Lord says, listen, your kids are going to come and they're going to say, listen, what do these stones mean? Verse 6, what do these stones mean? Then you have a chance to tell the story. But I was really interested to see that the story is more than this crossing. Look over to verse 23. For the Lord your God dried up the waters of Jordan uh, before you until you had crossed over, as the Lord your God did at the Red Sea, which he dried up before us until we had crossed over. He says, not only do I want you to tell this story of this crossing, but I want you to tell that story 
of that previous crossing as well. Two crossings. You know, it's interesting uh, for you and me to... Uh, we, we can come together in the church and we can say, listen, we're all in the promised land. We can all pat ourselves on the back and we can talk about spiritual growth and we can talk about all kinds of things. But, uh, but the Lord said to them, listen, I want you to tell them about the other crossing because the other crossing made this crossing possible. Uh, they crossed through the Red Sea. They left Egypt. Um, two crossings. The Passover. The difference, though, in these crossings was faith. Uh, God was a miracle-working God. Uh, he performs miracles to get us across. The greatest miracle today, as you know, is the miracle of the new birth. I remember many years ago, um, 10 or 20 years ago, it seemed like everybody was hung up on miracles. You know, there was a miracle breaking out here, and people would get on a bus, and they'd go to this town and that was some kind of miracles were going on. You don't hear much about that anymore. Um, that was something that appealed to them. The greatest miracle in all the world is the miracle of a soul set free. The miracle of the new birth. The miracle of a changed life. I was reading the commentary on Joshua by John Huffman. He was the pastor for a number of years of the First Presbyterian Church here in Pittsburgh. And he talks about his memorial. You know what he said? He said, I returned to the place, my father and my mother's room. The date was Labor Day morning, 1945. I knelt at a chair as a five-year-old tyke. I haven't heard that word in a while. Tyke. Praying for Christ to come into my life. That was his memorial. You know, memorial stones are given us uh, for an opportunity to tell our story an opportunity to tell the story of God's greatness. You know, God's performed many memorials, or he's established many memorials, remember? When he had destroyed the earth by flood, he put a, a, a rainbow. And that's, it was his memorial. Whenever they got into the promised land, their meals changed. Uh, manna dried up, and they had to eat the fruit of the ground. But there they were. They were already, they were poised on going in. Look over to chapter 5, verse 13. And Joshua was at Jericho. And he lifted up his eyes and looked. Behold, a man stood opposite him with a sword drawn in his hand. And Joshua went to him and said to him, Are you for, for us or against us? So he said, No. He didn't answer his question. He said, but as the commander of the army of the Lord, I have now come. And Joshua fell on his face to the earth and worshiped and said to him, what does my Lord say to this servant? Then the commander of the Lord's army said to Joshua, take your sandals off your feet, for the place where you stand is holy. And Joshua did that. You know, every leader needs a leader. And everyone is a leader. Uh, Joshua was coming against the, the greatest challenge of his life, Jericho. These big high walls, this fortified city. And uh, he was probably very apprehensive, and the Lord appeared to him. And he came to instruct Joshua in the plan to capture Jericho. But he also came to conquer Israel. Before Israel could conquer anything else in the promised land, they had to be conquered by God. 
Uh, Joshua's total submission shows here that he was conquered by God. Uh, this, was in, this was encouraging. He falls down and he worships the commander-in-chief. No, the issue wasn't whether uh, uh, God was on Joshua's side. The issue was whether Joshua was on God's side. Uh, the Lord is our commander-in-chief. And you're sitting here in this church today and you're saying, well, where are you going? Well, you know, there's, there are big obstacles right out there in front of you. They're all over the place. And, uh, and you're standing there looking at them and, and you're waiting for something to happen. Uh, you're, you're, you're calling God to come and be a part of your plan. And God wants to know if you're a part of his plan. You're not out there fighting this battle alone. He's the commander chief and he's leading the way. And all we have to do is what? Follow. The Lord knows the way through the wilderness. And all we have to do is follow. Let's bow our heads in prayer. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed today, I'd like to ask those men who are serving communion to come forward now, please. And as we wait upon the Lord, I want you to look into your heart and ask yourself today, where, where am I? Am I? Have I crossed over? Have I crossed uh, into the promised land or... Am I, just, uh, am I just looking over? Have I actually experienced the mature spiritual life? Well, if you've been in the church for years and you've seen other people experience the, the mature Christian life and you haven't, I'll tell you what, I want to encourage you to, to follow the ark. Follow it over. The Lord knows the way through the wilderness. And uh, let him take you into places you've never been before. But in order for that to happen, you have to be submissive to him. You can't be doing your own thing and asking God to be a part of your plan. You have to get on his page. And as we wait upon the Lord in the church this morning, I, um, I just want us to take a second, a few seconds, just to speak to the Lord before we take communion. Communion is a memorial. God said, listen, when you do this, you're remembering my death upon the cross for your sins. Dear Lord, we thank you for this memorial that we are about to take right now. I, uh, I pray that you will, Lord, uh, draw us into the meaning uh, and to the joy of what you did for us on Good Friday. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.